The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. In the South, it's always college football season and the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. If there is any doubt, an NFL front office is going to collectively lose their mind Swayed by combine results. Rip City would like a word. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. On a Wednesday, I hope everybody's just having a glorious existence. And you ever been the last person at, like, the county fair? I was on the prom committee. I was a class officer. It was not a – I ain't bragging, folks. Um, It was kind of like L.A. for the Olympics. You know, nobody else bid, right? Do do we uh, we all know the Olympics are coming back to Los Angeles and that nobody else bid? So I'm on the prom committee, which is pretty cool because uh, you get to go for free until you realize somebody turns on the lights and everybody else has gone home. <laughs> You're like, oh, kind of a letdown. That's folks in Indianapolis sweeping up right now. People turn the lights on. You're like, oh, party's over. So the combine officially wrapped up. And if there is any doubt that an NFL front office, I said lose their mind collectively, uh, going to be irrationally swayed by combine results, Rip City would like a word. Quick quiz to Dan Matthews. Do you know who Rip City is? You do. Portland. Portland. Way back, like, they, they were an NBA expansion team back, like, 71, 72, early 70s. And their play-by-play guy, they hit a three to win a game, and he just said, Rip City, baby. And he had, he asked him later, he's like, yeah, I have no idea why that came out. So they became Rip City. <laughs> and it is just a fantastic uh, nickname. And the city of Portland, when it comes to basketball, the funny thing is the fans, they're great fans. And it's been a really, really good organization with two absolute giant stink bombs. The degree to which measurables will cause a general manager or a coach to filter out everything they know is important when collectively it all yells, run! Dan knew who Rip City was. Dan knows these examples I'm about to give. 1983 NBA draft, Michael Jordan was available. Portland took a guy who had already missed two full seasons with stress fractures, leg and a cast for 44 weeks. Portland looked at six foot six skinny shooting guard. Eh, seen it. Seven foot one with fire hoses attached to his shoulders. Ooh, tell me more. Just not about. Sam Bowie's balsa wood legs, I guess. 
And don't say that, well, we all would have, uh-uh, we all wouldn't have done that. I was like 15 when it happened, and I was like, why are they doing that? Dan may have been just like popping out of the womb. He's like, why are they doing that? Draft, so, but Portland, other than that, they've aced it, man. They've been just an outstanding franchise. They took a guy who had already missed two full years with broken legs ahead of Michael Jordan. So the draft, 25 years later, perhaps you may have been conscious walking around the Portland front office at any point the previous couple of decades or not. Because Kevin Durant was available, Portland took a guy who missed his entire rookie season with microfracture surgery, then had two more microfracture surgeries, and Greg Oden finished his career with 840 points scored. Kevin Durant averaged 20 a game as a rookie, which has been his lowest average of 16 NBA seasons. Odin had measurables. Durant was the slim reaper. At Texas, he played one year at Texas. Do you know what he did at Texas? He led the Big 12 in scoring rebounds and blocks. And slim reaper? He's not seven feet tall. People claim that, don't they? He's 6'11", maybe. What do they say? They say seven. And I think he's 6'11", whatever. He is a bing pole and always has been. And he has been just an unbelievable all-time, like, NBA player. He might be 6'10", 6'11". He ain't seven foot. He's about 230 pounds. So Slim Reaper... Yeah, and he looked that way at Texas when he was this skinny, tiny, little 18-year-old. Greg Oden? Greg Oden was, he looked like he put in an order to Dr. Frankenstein. Sent the NBA low post van by the castle. Picked up Greg Oden, you're like, we're set. Except for his legs didn't work except for the wrist surgery he had already had and the microfracture surgery, which Portland was like, you know what, he's going to miss his entire rookie year. We're cool with it. Kevin Durant weighed about 230 pounds. Do y'all remember this? The NBA has a combine as well, a workout. They don't lift the same. The rep at the NBA, uh, the NFL combine is 225. How many reps? 225. Do y'all know what the NBA rep is, What the what the pounds are? It's 185 pounds. Durant couldn't lift 185 pounds like once, like at all at his draft workout. He couldn't lift 185. Greg Oden could barely fit through the door, and you were like, well, maybe there's some fat on his earlobes. It was a totally different thing. I say all this because with the combine being all wrapped up, and opinions being formed now by people like me and you and everybody else who's not employed. Like, we all get our checks the 15th and 30th. I look down. Mine does not say Baltimore Ravens on it. It does not say Minnesota Vikings. Does yours? I don't think it does. All of us, we sit back and go, my goodness, did you see Anthony Richardson? Boy, he's big and he runs fast. I already knew both of those things, by the way. And I watched it. I was like, wow, he's big. Boy, he runs fast. I had already watched it happen in games. 
And I was like, God Almighty, wow. I was like, no, wait a minute. I already knew that. What am I? I was getting wowed by it, but then I was like, ah, but you know, enough, but I'm not a, my check doesn't say, you know, Chicago Bears on it. And so somebody whose check says Chicago Bears on it, he or she going to know better because I'm just a guy sitting at the bar at Applebee's watching the combine. But somebody who on the 15th and 30th, their check says New York Giants, that person will know better. Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. I mentioned yesterday that Anthony Richardson, if you now I fall in the camp of I don't know that I want him anywhere in at least the first couple rounds. Like folks, I say he's there's a lot uphill to there's a lot of upside, a lot of uphill ahead. And on an NFL field is not a great place to learn how to play quarterback. That's my opinion. Dan, get David Morris on. I yell a lot of stuff at Dan, and he counts on the fact that I'm going to forget most of it. Don't let me forget this one. Let's get David Morris on and specifically tell him, I want to ask about the, the improvement arc, like the, the projected, like what is on the improvement arc? What are the, what are the benchmarks, the milestones? The speci- Maybe David's listening. He's immobile. Um, Wheels are in motion. Sp- Dan, um, with AR, because does it look right? Oh, yeah. He's that big, and he runs like that, and he's got a strong arm. Okay, where's it going? And I'm not even just talking accuracy. I'm talking, like, decision. Where's it going? I mentioned yesterday that if you fall into the same little category, the bucket that I live in of, eh, I don't want him first couple rounds. And I mean that. If I'm a fan of the NFL team who picks 27th in the second round, at that point, I'm like, eh, okay, maybe. He is so raw. An NFL team, if you are worried that your NFL team may use its first-round draft pick on Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or a raw quarterback who just showed out at Indianapolis or has some tape and some highlights, if you're worried about that, specifically when it comes to Anthony Richardson, if you're thinking my team has the ninth overall pick, it might be Carolina. Um, my team have the seventh. Uh, the Falcons are eight. The Saints are apparently off the quarterback board. Uh, if who's it? Uh, Lamar leaves, maybe Baltimore. I don't know, whoever. My NFL team has the pick at 6, 11, 22, and I'm terrified that they'll spend the pick at 6 or 11 or 22. I'm terrified they're going to spend it on Anthony Richardson. Folks. They're not getting Anthony Richardson, I don't think, for the 6th, 11th, 22nd pick. I think even at 6, you may have to trade up. Like you, Or if it's whoever's at 6 doesn't want a quarterback, maybe you look at, uh, can I trade up and get you? Because I know everybody behind you, like two of the next three, they want a quarterback. So I have to trade up ahead at least of Atlanta, I think. So AR, if your team picks 19th in the first round, you don't need to worry at all, I promise you, about your team spending its first-round pick on Anthony Richardson because the 19th overall pick ain't enough to get Anthony Richardson. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, talk college football next.
out more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. If we got the DeLorean and went back like three months, any conversation about the pending career arc, what's ahead for Zach Arnett? Like the very first utterance would have been, well, he's going to be a head coach at some point. Well, he's a head coach now. And he is officially running his first spring practice. And I said, there's, there's, it's not the knowledge of what to do. It's just you've never done it before. And there is just something about the first time, and I've seen this happen a bunch. I've seen this happen a bunch. The first time a head coach looks up and he realizes everybody's looking at him, like, oh, yeah, I'm the head coach now. Um, I, I have to say something or else nothing happens now. You're sitting at the end of the table, not the side of the table anymore. So he's running a spring practice, and um, by all accounts, the first thing I looked at was recruiting. And he might have lost one kid, but then he added a safety who actually, uh, there's an opportunity to play a bunch this year for this kid who's actually the highest. So he added the highest ranked recruit in the whole class. So if you keep recruiting together and you keep the staff together at least as much as you want, bully for you. Want to welcome on now a guy who, when it comes to Mississippi State football, uh, it's about the best source I know of. Uh, he hangs out there with Richard Cross. It's that super talk thing in Mississippi. Brian, hey, Dad. How are you, brother? Doing great, Chuck. How are you today, man? Good to be with you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, man. Um, has Zach talked much about that, or is that all he has to talk about, uh, that this is all new and now he's actually running practices and it's not just the bowl game? Because a lot of guys, you see like the wide receivers coach has to go coach the bowl game because the head coach got fired. Uh, this was a totally different thing, and he knew that he was going to be the head coach going forward. Uh, what have been his comments about that? He's really taken to it, you know. Like, I mean, I don't know if duck to water is the right thing, but he just feels like, yeah, you know, he was prepared for this. He was prepared for the moment. He was ready for it, and obviously, it came, you know, as a result of a tragedy. But he has acted and and been as head coach Lee. Is that a term? I don't know. But he has been as much as a head coach and acted like one as anybody else I've seen in that position. You know, when you talk to him in press conferences, when you talk to him, you know, off the record, everything is, is kind of by the book in the way that you uh, that you want it to be. So I think Arnett, you know, is off to a good start. You mentioned recruiting. You mentioned, you know, the staff he's been able to put together. Uh, and now, you know, in getting into practice and a long way to go to games, and that's where everything will really be determined. But I think you, you should be pleased if you're a Mississippi State fan thus far. Is there anything that we're going to see in spring to bring a lot more clarity to quarterback and how the offense, maybe not who the quarterback is, but how the quarterback is going to play this year? Because it's going to be different, like a lot of different. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I, obviously with what they're going to ask from Rodgers, they're going to need more from him in the vertical game. They're going to need him to be able to throw the ball down the field. And then they're going to want some some quarterback run in there, some RPO, and that's where Mike Wright, the Vanderbilt transfer, is going to come in. I I imagine there will be a package, there'll be play calls and things set up for him. And then I'm not really sure if they're going to try him in another position to try to get him on the field. But you know, with Rodgers, and I talked about this a lot on my podcast the other day, that you know he's been labeled the system quarterback, fair or unfair. You know, that's the numbers; they sort of speak for themselves. Now in the new system, he can really maybe make a statement about what kind of player he is. You know, he still has an outside chance at being the all-time leading passer in SEC history when his career is over. Depends on how this year goes for him. Um, 
And so, you know, in this offense, where where they're not they're going to require less of him because they're going to rely more on the running game. They're going to put the ball in those playmakers' hands a little bit more. I, I think you know they've moved Tulu Griffin into the slot position, which is something Mississippi State fans have been crying out for for the last uh, two years. I think that, that, that he's got a lot of tools around him. They bring back a lot. He brings back four starters on the offensive line. So there's not a lot of excuses for, for Rodgers. And he's a veteran. He should be you know, able to, to adapt quickly. So this is a big season for him. And what I guess if legacy is the right word for him at Mississippi State and in the SEC. Jaquavius Marks, Woody Marks. Um, and he is named after the character from Toy Story, right? That's correct, yes. Okay. He's actually a little thicker than that. I've said he's kind of – he's not – a tall kid, but I don't want my tailbacks very tall. I think he has been improperly labeled as a guy who can't run the football. Uh, he's probably 200 poundish or so. Yeah. What do you think his role can be, or does he have to split out and become like a Kadarius Tony-ish player? No, no, I think he can be a guy that you can give the ball to 15 plus times a game. I think I think he's capable of carrying that load. And the state's gonna gonna split carries up with him and Simeon Price, and they brought in a couple running backs in the signing class that they like. But but Marks is definitely gonna be the workhorse. And you know, with Dylan Johnson off to Washington, he's gonna have that opportunity to, to be the you know feature back. And then that's something that Mississippi State has not had for the past couple of years. And even if they had one, they weren't featuring him. Uh, in the Mike uh, Mike Leach offense, so I, I, I expect you know Marks, you know they'd like him to try to be close to a thousand yards this year. I think that that's a something that can be done uh, if he stays healthy. He's certainly got the talent, and I, I think this offense is going to give him a lot of opportunities. All right, they're just you know I've gotten past the point of noticing weird phrases now. When I saw fourth year sophomore, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, so so I'm past all that. Um, what about I saw that I read Mississippi State's losing three starters at safety. I'm like, there aren't three starters at safety, but it's modern football, whatever. Can that freshman start? Isaac Smith, yeah, he he can probably he probably will play a large role, and then definitely going to be a potential guy there. They've hit the transfer portal pretty hard uh, for for safeties. They brought in Radar Jones from LSU, brought in Jacoby Albert uh, from uh, from Kentucky and Christopher Keyes from Indiana, and then you go back a year, and Marcus Banks from Alabama, Hunter Washington from Florida State, that, the, the, uh, Jordan Morant from, uh, from Michigan. The past three years, they've signed six transfer safeties, all from Power 5 schools. You know, last year, and that's not including Jalen Green and J- Jackie Matthews, who started for Mississippi State last year, and now they're off to uh, to ch- chase the NFL dream. So, yeah, those those guys. Uh, State's gonna have to find somebody back there to play. That's that's the biggest you know question mark going into the spring is the back end of the defense because you got to replace Emmanuel Forbes at that cornerback position. On top of that, where they're probably gonna be another transfer there, Kamari Rogers uh, from Miami. So a lot of new faces back there, uh, and most of them from the transfer portal. If you or maybe you got a Mississippi State fan, somebody, and just you could close your eyes and just blurt out. What's your thought about Ole Miss Lane Kiffin and in context of versus Mississippi State and where the Bulldogs program? Like, if you could string that whole con- context together in one statement and have a Mississippi State fan blurt out, what does he or she really think about the threat level in Oxford right now versus yeah. Mississippi State? What's that answer? It's different than it was 12 months ago. Uh, I would definitely say that. You know, coming off of that 10-2 and two season, you were like, okay, maybe Ole Miss is starting to get it going. And then you watch the way that, you know, there's no other word to describe it. They collapsed at the end of the season last year. They were 7-0, and and they finished 8-5. and five. 
And it, it's really kind of a, a, a battle of, you know, Mississippi State is doing things in the recruiting process. They're still recruiting 25-plus high schoolers, and they're using the portal to fill in holes. Ole Miss is recruiting 10 or 12 high schoolers, and they're going after 15, 20 transfers a year. So it's like this great, you know, philosophy battle here. And, you know, right now it's it's 1-0 Mississippi State. We'll see what happens uh, this, this season. I think this year Mississippi State fans feel like they should have a better team than Ole Miss, although Ole Miss returns, you know, talent with Darton and Sean Judkins. Those guys are really, really good. But I think top to bottom, especially defensively, State's just a better team. Ole Miss's defense, I mean, I don't think it's going to be very good this year. It's only been good once in the past decade, so I don't feel like I'm I'm talking out of school there. So I, I, th- I think that's going to be a struggle for them. But they'll they'll, they'll pile up points with, with Darton and Judkins. It's just can they stop people? Good stuff, Brian. Appreciate you as always, brother. Thanks, man. Anytime. Yes, sir. Brian Haydeth again, Sports Talk Mississippi. He does his thing, uh, and he's right. He says Ole Miss has been. Um, they've had. One group, one outstanding defense in whatever past 10 years. It wasn't supposed to be that way. <laughs> a lot of those stud recruits on defense, I was a huge, it was a Tony Connor, that safety linebacker. Um, as he got, I think, more limited in coverage because he had an injury and an injury and an injury. It wasn't just the names we remember and the guys who eventually got drafted. They had studs all over those uh, two classes and really built the foundation of a couple of defenses where they fly around and hit you some. And then when the, when the recruiting scandal came, which I just, I was trying to pick a right word there, but at the time it was a a recruiting scandal. Larry Tonso got like $300 to pay the electricity bill. (gasps) Take away their sugar bowl visit. Um, You got, it was, and they got a rental car. Uh, you're awful probation five-year investigation so that was after that group of players left it got bad 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 and has been and even uh the ability to rush the quarterback hit the quarterback create turnovers is supposed to be an equalizer they haven't been able to like at least have you know high risk high reward. No, it's just been the risk and the yards and the points and all that. You got to introduce some of the reward for your defense as well. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only ten dollars each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest 
largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Well, Auburn is having a spring practice. I stepped out of a restaurant, I don't know, uh, middle of December, and it was I was having breakfast, had Auburn stuff on, and there was an LSU fan standing in the parking lot. Y'all going to play next year? I was like, yeah, we'll give it one more shot. Um, so yeah, they're actually getting, they're following through on it. So I promised them, there you go. They got spring practice going on. And you know what? I, I usually try to drill down and say, you know what? There's plenty of conversation about this topic. Let's talk about the third, fourth, fifth things that maybe don't get enough, you know, of a light shined on them. Mm-mm. I'm, I'm all about the quarterback competition and battle and the way it's going to turn out, which is Robbie Ashford's going to be like leading it clearly at the end of spring, which I think TJ Finley lose. And then Hugh Freeze hits the portal anyway. That's how I think it happens. Uh, I know somebody we can turn to for all manner of observations. Hey, AuburnObserver.com, that's him. It's Justin Ferguson. Justin, welcome to the Chuck Oliver Show. How are you on this Wednesday? I'm doing well. How are you, Chuck? Doing good. Give me the flyover. Uh, how is the quarterback competition, uh, the performance as we sit today, you know, 10 minutes into spring? And how do you believe it will play out, uh, barring really unforeseen uh, circumstances? Yeah, I think it's the scenario you just described there at the beginning makes the most sense. You know, Robbie Ashford started most of the season for Auburn last year at quarterback. He returns as a quarterback. I think he's a better fit, obviously, for this system that you free Philip Montgomery going to run compared to what he was trying to do under Brian Harson and that kind of pro-style offense. But yeah, T.J. Finley's uh, on campus getting back into the swing of things with football after taking a leave of absence from the team last season. They also got Holden Garner, who redshirted last year, I was really good for like four-star quarterback out of Georgia uh, in, la- in the last cycle. Um, but those are the three quarterbacks right now. And it, it, it seems like Ashford's the guy everyone's kind of looking at. It's just how much can he improve throwing the ball? It's a guy who's a really good runner last season, but he's one of the least accurate and least efficient quarterbacks in the country. All right, talk, talking with Justin Ferguson again, AuburnObserver.com. So head online, AuburnObserver.com. Uh, a lot of spring uh, information there, a lot of hoops information this time of year. Obviously, uh, a lot of talk about Tank Bigsby and other Auburn players uh, at the Combine and heading to the NFL draft. Um, we got Justin still? All right, getting Justin back on in just a second. And what I want to ask him about is there has also been – uh, a lot of beyond just Robbie Ashford and his development, the fact that T.J. Finley may take off after spring if he's not leading, uh, which would make a lot of sense. Uh, there's been a lot made about the offensive line and the influx of talent through the transfer portal. And I don't know, you bring in three grown man starters uh, through the portal in one year when it's possible that – I said, you know, Auburn's offensive line, they were outstanding, like as good as anybody in America in November of 2017. You would be hard-pressed to find a a, a good window 
for the Auburn O-line as a unit uh, for a month or two since November of 17. Justin, we got you back. Uh, I was saying there's a lot of conversation about the three grown men transfers, um, mm-hmm. but also talk about the not only the three transfers, but the new coach as well uh, up front because that's gotten some attention. Uh, it's a whole new look up there, and for Auburn fans, that's got to be a welcome. All right, he's on hold again. Um, I'm going to try to get him back. because. All right, so we won't get him back, and we will move on. And at some point, hopefully, we'll be able to get him back and talk some more about the Auburn offensive line. So I do appreciate the two minutes he was able to give us today before his phone gave out. Uh, We will move on. Uh, the point I was making about the three grown men offensive line, these are guys who have started, not only started at other um, – Eh, two G5 programs, but Division One programs, uh, but also extensive resumes and one guy who does tough stuff in the middle. And so I've said that, like, you look for a guy like Reestus Mukes, for instance, there was so much value to what Reestus Mukes brought to that roster, and I don't even know. I can't remember. He might have gotten into camp. In fact, I'm sure he did He was because he was so tough. But if you don't have necessarily prototypical height, prototypical weight um there's just not a whole lot of sand in your bucket i mentioned those reps at the nfl combine or pro day or personal workout or anything that you do if you're slinging around 225 okay now that can be different and that doesn't necessarily make you an nfl uh prospect uh what that does is what that does is it shows that you're willing to work hard and get nasty and grimy that's what that does. Um, and so if you look at a kid like Ristius Mukes, that I was like, all right, well, he's as strong and burly as it gets, and he's as mean as it gets and as tough as it gets, and he's got a great attitude. I don't know if he was ever really considered a great NFL prospect, but he didn't have to be. You can live in college. I'm talking especially when it's a power-based ground game, which Gus always mostly was. You can live in college that way. It doesn't project to the NFL, and at some point, it's really good to have a bunch of grown men offensive linemen who project to the NFL, and that's what Auburn has now, uh, as well as a whole new direction uh, on the sidelines. All right, we're going to take a break. We will come back, continue with more of the Chuck Oliver Show next. The king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. The future and the competition, I do think it's you know great for the fans. Um, more quality games that you have, the better. You know, I would say that most people would say that if those are our three permanent fix, they would be um, the three most difficult permanent fix that anybody in the league has. Nick Saban will complain about anything. It is the Chuck Oliver Show on a Wednesday. And we're on in Tuscaloosa, and I hope he's listening right now. He, he He's not. I hope he's listening right now, and if he's not, I hope somebody 
will record the next, say, 20 seconds and then play it for him or transcribe or, like, put quotes on it and tweet it and then put at Nick Saban somehow. Re-rack, that's an industry term, means play it. David, would you re-rack that, please? Now, listen to what Nick Saban is saying about the proposed there's a generally understood, and like it's been circulating around the SEC now, a couple of different models from Sankey's folks. One of the models of proposed SEC scheduling going forward, nine games, three permanent, Alabama will play. <laughs> it ain't easy, uh, I guess. But LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee. Against that backdrop, Coach Saban said this. For the future and the competition, I do think it's, you know, great for the fans. Um, more quality games that you have, the better. You know, I would say that most people would say that if those are our three permanent fix, they would be um, the three most difficult permanent fix that anybody in the league has. Three most difficult permanent opponents that anyone in the league has. Seven and two against Auburn, their past nine. 10-2 and two against LSU their past 12. Lost to Tennessee for the first time since 2006. Come again, coach? Please. I did. David, would you play that one more time? For the future and the competition, I do think it's, you know, great for the fans. Um, more quality games that you have, the better. You know, I would say that most people would say that if those are our three permanent fix, they would be um, the three most difficult permanent fix that anybody in the league has. Seven and two, ten and two. You lost for the first time since you got there in 2007. So that is the backdrop that Nick Saban says, hey, look, if we really do get those three that everybody's talking about and we think it's the model they're sending around – that's got to be the three most difficult. Who would you like? How would you like to make that easier? Now, not every one of those games was easy. And the cumulative effect versus having a Missouri or a Vanderbilt dropped in, I get it. Some of those games were easy. And just because you worked really hard and were able to win so many more of them, uh, don't take away the con- – I have a full understanding of the context. I swear I do. Hush. Seriously, hush, who do you want? Who is it you want? Do you, honestly, do you want to take, I bet it's, uh, he wants to take 10, because you can't take Auburn off. I bet he wants to take LSU off. He'll play the Tennessee thing, figure that out maybe. And that's got more history anyway. That actually had a name to it, third Saturday in October. Uh, it actually was third Saturday in October this past year. But it's, I don't know, may, I think, and LSU's a better program than Tennessee. Now, yesterday, 5, 10, 5, 20, LSU's kind of been a better program than Tennessee for the past two decades and sporadically before that. So the era we live in, I think I know what he's saying. You can't even whisper, I don't play the Auburn game. What? Because there may be some people in Auburn going, uh, huh? <laughs> what he said. Maybe let's play twice every four years instead of four times every four years. How could you say that? Oklahoma, Nebraska. 
Believe it or not, like Pitt, Penn State, Blood War, not the same thing, not even in the same universe, but to those people it was. So against that backdrop, and I would ask him, who would you like? Because Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn is too much. Teams that you have gone, what, a collective 7-2, and 10-2, and two, and what is it, 14-1 and one against? Hey, guys, that's just a little much to ask. Now, again, I know what you had to put into it, but how different would the results have been? Be honest, coach. Spin the wheel. Give me an SEC program that you could have swapped in and had a much better record against than Tennessee, LSU, or Auburn over that span. Who? Kentucky? I think Kentucky could have beaten you one out of 15. Kentucky might have beat you two out of nine. Two out of 12? Maybe. South Carolina? Maybe. The bar is really, really low. A scheduling model until, and I've said there's Game of Thrones stuff coming up. It's going to be, I think it'll be two 24-team conferences. They may say 20 and just kind of get exclusive, but I think it'll be 220 because then at 24, you can even get some like outliers that, all right, well, we'll, you know, Cincinnati would be a good market to have, I guess, or Memphis will take, you know, you can get a little creative with it maybe, 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 but I think 224 team conferences and it'll be like two, like almost having two NFLs, but until that happens, this is a scheduling model and that means whatever goes in place you know what went in place in 1992 yeah it kind of stayed in place until come along missouri and texas a&m do you remember you used to have it was you had two permanent opponents and two rotating i believe from the other side or two and maybe one whatever it was but then you dropped one because you had two teams so that that was going back to 2012 and you got a scheduling model and now we're along about 2023 and Georgia still looks over at Auburn going you owe us a home game Auburn's like nah hey it wasn't us wasn't us man Missouri and somebody was it somebody had to play back to back as well on maybe their first two were at Missouri or something so there, some things got thrown off kilter. And you know what? Because it's a scheduling model, you know what doesn't you change? The model until you add new programs, which happens, you know, like almost never. So this model that gets announced, I'll look at my school. Because of the, I said, Auburn fans, I started the show yesterday with this, that like everybody, if you go back past, I'll say like 45 seasons since Doug Barfield exited from the property. Auburn fans have had individual seasons where it was a tough experience. That wasn't their existence. Like Vanderbilt fans, you've got an existence. That's not a good one when it comes to football. But Auburn fans, you would have an individual experience like 2012. My gosh, this stinks. But your existence was never that. Your existence was, hey, we're one of the halves. Right now is the toughest extended existence. This was not an experience. This is like a three-year, four-year-ish thing going now. And it is getting tougher to improve all the time. 
because of this one little window that Auburn is in that has never really been in my life, maybe they're getting the pass. Oh, the coveted three spots available to be a permanent opponent of Vanderbilt. Word around the campfire is that Auburn, by virtue of playing Alabama and Georgia, see, that's the start of, hey, this is really difficult. Look at Auburn's record versus Georgia. Since 2005, I believe it was. Yeah, 2005, they're in Athens. There was a fourth and ten. An Auburn fan, can, an Auburn fan or a Georgia fan, somebody's listening right now, they'll both know this and will have different opinions on one part. There's a fourth and ten snap, gets rolled back to Brandon Cox, and somehow he picks it up, hits the receiver. It turns into a touchdown and the game-winning conversion. Um, I don't know what the ruling still should have been, but that ball got punched out. Um, so whatever, 2005, Auburn got the win since that day. It's been really, really not good. It's been very not good playing Georgia. Against Alabama, there have been some incredible highs, unbelievable moments, the comeback in Tuscaloosa, the Chris Davis, and some unbelievable moments. There been a bunch of losing, too. So, and Gus actually cracked the code a little bit. And it still has been a real t- tough series. And then there's Georgia. So, in the best of days, playing Alabama and Georgia wasn't easy. Well, Auburn is apparently going to get the pass. They're going to get one of Vanderbilt's three available permanent games. Allegedly, Tennessee gets one. Apparently, Missouri's going to get one. Missouri has nothing to attach to. Missouri has been told, you care about Arkansas. And Missouri fans are like, we really don't. Now, you talk about, why did you join the SEC? I told you why Oklahoma and Texas did. They wanted better home slates. Go look at who the other opponents were in the Big 12 every year. I'll let you cherry pick a home slate knowing that it can't include Texas or Oklahoma. It was never good. It was never good. Ever, ever, ever was it good. And it was there was no chance of it. Cherry picked the best one and then realized the horror that the next year you got to play the other four. Like, so the home slate was just awful every year. Missouri? Eh. Your permanent opponents, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and Oklahoma? You don't care about Arkansas, even though the SEC swears you do. Vanderbilt? It could be an opportunity for a dub. We'll get you a bowl game some year. Okay, you'll take it, but it's still not a fun game. And Oklahoma? Yet again, you have the SEC going, hey, y'all care about each other because y'all were in the Big 8 together, like, way, way, way back, so... Um, y'all care about this still? And both teams are like, no, I don't think we do. Yeah, well, we're going to pair you because of the traditional rivalry. Well, no, I, that was a long time ago. Uh, and so that appears to be what Missouri's getting. Odd collections all throughout. And LSU, again, the old Miss thing is as long as it's in there, I, I think that's worth protecting as well. want to welcome on Dan Matthews. Dan, how is your Wednesday? Uh, so far, so good. By the way, too, you know, I talked about this in a recent episode of the Southern Beat with uh, our good buddy Tyler McComas of uh, The Ref. 
in Oklahoma City, and he was talking about the potential that Oklahoma could kind of fit into that category as well as, hey, you two used to play against each other in the Big 12, and he said Oklahoma fans would just be like, we don't care about Missouri. We played them a couple of times in a Big 12 championship game. Aside from that and us being somewhat close to each other in proximity, there is no real draw in that game. Now, Arkansas, he said, though, that does bring back the old Southwest Conference days, and he does say that there is a little bit of vitriol and hatred there. So uh, maybe uh, Oklahoma will get their wish on that and the Razorback fans as well. Um, You know, part of the issue sometimes, I I think, is that people shout out what are the different problems Problems. And then the you know question then uh, in response is, okay, well, how do we deal with it? I do give credit to Jim Phillips on this. Later today, I'm going to talk with uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports on uh, the Southern Beat. And one of the things I want to ask him about is just the perceived notion out there that the ACC could be in trouble. We've got the comments from Florida State and their board of trustees and their athletic director. So people believe whenever comments myself included, whenever the comments like that are made, that discussions are already being had. And I think that with Jim Phillips, I go back to last year at at, uh, ACC kickoff where he was giving his state of the league address. And he said, quite frankly, we got to be better at football. And it reminded me so much of Greg Sankey standing up at the podium saying, God, men's basketball in this league is just awful. That has to change. And some people might've looked at Greg Sankey at the time and said, well, what do you necessarily care? You guys rule the fall. You got Kentucky. Then you rule college baseball. Is there anything necessarily you need to improve about men's basketball? And he said, Pretty much without saying it, yeah, because we can make this thing even stronger if we have other programs that are really good. I applaud Jim Phillips for saying that because he's saying this is a non-starter for this organization to be able to raise more money for their member institutions if the main thing that is supposed to be the fundraiser is not doing what it's supposed to do. He is, in so many words, talking to Virginia Tech, saying, be better. He's talking to Miami, do the same. Florida State, do the same. All of the programs that were brought to the ACC that were supposed to do said thing, he's talking to them and saying, do your jobs so I can do mine better. You got buildings, some of them on campus, which is its own commentary, but you got buildings. One of them seats about, I don't know, 9,000. One of them might seat 75. That tells you where the blue sky is. That tells you where the bread can be buttered. And your history is fantastic. It's awesome. It really is. Uh, But, again, there's bread, and it has to be buttered. It's 2023. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest 
largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. 